Sunday, October the 10th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. So we're thinking about where we're placed. That's what the series that we began um, last week was all about. Look where I am. And wherever else we are, we're here. We're, we're in this place. God has placed us here together. Burlington Road, London Road, this community, this town, this time, this moment, this opportunity. And remember what we began to say um, last time from the life of Abraham and Joseph, that in some respects, it doesn't altogether matter how we got to this moment, to this place, this time, but every place and every moment has a purpose because God always has a plan. He knew that we would be here for this time in the same way that he knew that Esther in the Old Testament would be in that place for such a time as this and Joseph and Abraham and countless others before and after them. God has a plan here. Now that's encouraging, isn't it? Because whatever else, we need a God who has a plan because we've not done this before. If any of you have lived this life before, then share with us at some point. But we haven't. So we need someone who has a plan because we don't have a plan. In fact, in our devotions last evening from Psalm 94, I think it was, it kind of goes that the, the, the human plans are, are not really plans at all because no one's got a clue what they're doing. That's a great, that's kind of my paraphrase of Psalm 94, but it, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? As human beings, we don't really know what we're, we're doing, but God has a plan. And we gain confidence in God's plan so often by looking back, by, by looking from whence and from where we have come. And the wonderful thing about being part of a church that's been around since 1856 is that there's quite a lot of looking back to do. There's quite a lot of moments where you go, do you know what? God actually has a plan because we've seen what he has been doing that leads us to this place. Do we believe God has a plan? Yes. And I guess that's why we're here this morning. And as we think about God's plan, we can agree together that God has done amazing things. He's done amazing things in our memories. And he's done amazing things in the memories of those who talk about things that were before us. One of the wonderful things about being a family across the generations is that we can reach a long way back, all the way uh, roughly now to just coming to the end of the Second World, uh, World War. When, interestingly enough, O.J. Wiles was the minister, but he went off as a chaplain to war and Mrs. Wiles took over in his absence. And they say Mrs. Wiles was much better. Wasn't altogether good news when the war came to an end. And good old OJ came back to take up his place again. 
In our memories, we know God has a plan. These buildings speak a lot about God's goodness, don't they, to us? You know, what Claire was alluding to at the beginning. They built Burlington Hall. Imagine it for a minute when they built Burlington Hall, because this wasn't in Ipswich originally. The gates of the town, I was going to say the city, but we're not quite that grand, are we? The gates of the town were somewhere around where St. Matthew's Church is, just outside uh, where St. Matthew's Parish Church is. So we were outside of the town, and they started building the community around here, and Christians just like you and me said, you know what, we need to plant a church there. And they built a church to the glory of God on Burlington Road and said, we'll we'll build it as grand as we can because we understand that building something grand in that context, in that culture, would say something about the God that we believe in. And they built what still stands as what we call Burlington Hall. And they worshipped in there for 25 years until God did something quite remarkable and it was no longer uh, big enough for them. And so can you imagine the audacity, the audacious faith to build a 700-seater building in this local neighborhood, in the town called Ipswich? As you can see, it was an Ikea flat-pack Baptist church. Because they were all the same, wouldn't they? You just go, you go down the aisle, I want a 700 one. There you go, take it home, man with a van. And they built this church, and they just plonked it on the ground here, no foundations whatsoever, and thought, that'll do. And sometimes when we take um, uh, school children around this particular building, the bit I loved the most was to take them outside the front and get them to look up. And it's just gigantic, isn't it? And to say to those children, you know, they built it as big as they could to remind everybody how big God really is. And so they built this amazing building. And, and more in our memory, in our way of thinking, isn't it absolutely remarkable that the church center got built 15 years ago? I mean, that came out of nowhere, quite literally, it would seem, in God's purpose. Although it didn't. It was a lot of sweat and toil and a lot of sacrificial giving and a lot of prayer-filled faith or faith-filled prayer. Is prayer-filled faith the same as faith-filled prayer? Answers on a postcard. And so these buildings speak of the amazing faithfulness of God. Our memories, the buildings. And then we hear stories, don't we? We hear stories perhaps of other places and other times and we'll long for that to be our experience. This was a story that I read uh, recently, a hundred years ago, almost to, to the month back in, in May, a hundred years ago, 1921. There was this incredible account of God doing something remarkable in a local church. The local press, the Daily News and the Christian, which were the local press at the time, described the first night of what would be a week-long series of meetings as unforgettable when 1,100 people filled that particular church. Now, remember, this isn't the U.S. mega church. This is in uh, the U.K., The sermon that was preached that night on revival and what it means came to a close with 250 people standing to recommit their lives to living a missional lifestyle and rededicating themselves to God. The newspaper report of 1921 continued. It was soon evident that this was another movement of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of prayer was so intense that the prayer requests spilled over into the afternoon Bible readings. Imagine interrupting the Bible readings with prayer. Gosh, whatever next. 
Although people were blessed and sinners were converted, the town was not an easy place to move. And it was not until the last evening, Friday, that the real breakthrough came. Douglas Brown had announced that he would go into the schoolroom where he would see inquirers. As the schoolroom was separated from the church by a private house, it meant that inquirers had to go out into the street, but they were undeterred and a steady stream left the building. He writes, I shall never forget the after meeting on the Friday night when I was appealing to men and women to come to Jesus Christ. To my intense surprise, a young woman stepped up onto the lower platform and confessed her love for Jesus Christ. And in a few minutes, one after another, young men and women openly confess Christ as their personal savior. What a wonderful moment. Can you imagine that moment for a local church who've longed and loved and prayed and served and suddenly the Holy Spirit turns up and young men and young women, one after another, start giving their lives to Jesus and openly confessing him as their personal saviour and Lord. That town that was hard to reach was this town of Ipswich. That church was this church, Burlington Church. 1,100 filling the place. Can you imagine? That was before people needed health and safety. That schoolroom where people went in to give their lives to Jesus was our schoolrooms, Burlington Hall. Friends, this is our story. This is our history. This is his story. God has a plan and we can be confident because God has done amazing things. And so we are believing for more. We want these buildings, this home of ours to resound ever more with his praise. We want there to be more moments when the Holy Spirit is so palpable, it feels like we can touch him like he's here. And in touching him, we would be forever changed. We want these buildings to be so full of the purpose of God that as it says in 1 Corinthians, people will come in and go, do you know what? God's in that place because his presence is here. In so many ways, that's what the church center was about. It's not about buildings. It's creating a place, a space where people can encounter God, where we can live out the good news, where people can connect uh, with him. And it's why we still carry a vision for Burlington Hall. Can you remember that moment when we were building the church center, when we had that gap of almost 200,000 pounds? And we'd given to our limit and beyond, and we knew we didn't have another £200,000. And I stood here and I talked about the possibility of us moving forward, building the whole thing and just filling the ground floor. Anyone remember that? There's a few people old enough to remember that. And we prayed and we longed. We could have sold that building to complete that one. But something in our spirits said, no, God has a plan for that 
building. And I know we're talking about a refurb in here, but just think ahead. Imagine God's got a plan still for that building. I want to tell you, believe more than ever that God has a, a plan to, to reignite, to redeem his purpose back in that space. And reading that story again about people queuing to get into Burlington Hall to give their lives to Jesus encourages me that God's not finished with those halls either. This is good news. And it is why this space is so valuable to us. And why we need to keep up in this space with what God's doing. The same mission, the same vision, the same passion and desire that planted a church in Burlington Road that then built this massive auditorium here. The same prayers that led to the revival that I read about some moments ago. God calls us into a new season and invites us to seize the opportunity of all that he longs to do going forward. To seize our opportunity just like they did. To step into what God has for us just like this Burlington family has so always done. But it needs all of us. It needs all of us. All of us all in with our hearts, our prayer, our time, our energy, our finances, our commitment, whatever it is. Whatever we know about this next season, no one's going to go alone. It's going to be about us going together. If God's been teaching us anything over the last X number of years, it's that he wants to release the potential in all of us. And when we are all who God wants us to be, we together will step in to all that he has for us. No gift too small, no prayer unheard, no one left behind, all of us all in. We're placed here. And God has a plan and God has done amazing things. And we're believing for more. And it needs all of us. What excites you about what you've just heard? What prayer would you like to pray? Just invite us quietly to sit with those two questions just for a couple of moments. And then an opportunity uh, for us to share and pray together. Coffee is just 15 minutes away. If you're in that space of reaching for that next caffeine kick, hang on in there. Let's make these last 15 minutes count. What excites you about what you just heard? What prayer would you like to pray? Let's be quiet for a moment. And then in a, in a couple of minutes, we can turn and share one with another. It feels to us like a Haggai moment. Remember the reset that we were uh, journeying through in the first part of this year. Uh, quite a lot of that while we were uh, locked down. And there was, there was a purposeful journey that God had for his people about resetting them and sending them back out. And most of that for a long period of time was all about them. It was about their hearts. It was about their relationships. It was about what God was going to do in and through them. It was about them recovering their sense of faith. And then a moment came in the life of Haggai when God said, now is the time for the building. For them, it was the temple. Now is the time for the building to catch up with what I'm doing. 
Up until that point, the building hadn't been that important in the sense that God was doing his work in and through them. And then suddenly it says in Haggai chapter 1, basically, now is, uh, now is the time. In the second year of King Darius, and on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Jeltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Zadak, the high priest. And at that moment, there was a challenge from God that the way the buildings were can no longer be left like that. Something needs to be done about it. And, and I love the way that the people respond. And then at the end of Haggai chapter, um, one, uh, it says, then, uh, where have we got it? Verse 14 of Haggai chapter 1. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Jerubbabel, uh, the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord. Suddenly, in God's purpose, in God's plan, there was a moment. This is the moment to seize. And they did it with a great stirring of their spirits. Not with heavy hearts. Not with, oh, this is all a lot of effort. Not with, oh, but they, God stood at their hearts and with a sense of joy and gratitude for all that had gone before, uh, they got to it. And that's the spirit that we would love to see us go about this sanctuary refurb. This is the moment. This is the time. Because God's been so faithful and God's been so good. But to put it um, in in uh, maybe modern times, I mean, in Haggai chapter 1, it says, how come you live in panelled houses when the, the house of God lies in ruins? How come you've upgraded your houses and you haven't sorted out my house yet? Basically the paraphrase. And it was fine for a while because God was doing lots of stuff with them as a people. But suddenly the moment came. I think this is the moment. This is uh, the time. Over coffee and uh, throughout the rest of the morning, we want to just uh, make ourselves available uh, to you if there's anything that, that you can't figure out that isn't working or, or whatever. Uh, what we're most interested in in terms of helping us now to go where we're, we're in this, we're moving forward, um, is, is pledges. That commitment going forward that says I'm, I'm up for this in some way or another. So that when we come together in uh, a week and a half time, in 10 days time for our church meeting, we can make some decisions together based on what we know is what we know is true. So what we're interested in is if you are, are stirred up in your spirit about this, if you've read all the stuff and you're going, do you know what? I, I'm in. I, I can see that this is a moment. Uh, and I'm in with this. And this is what it means for me to be in. We'd love you to make that known before that church meeting by next Sunday so that we have an idea of what God's, what God's doing and what God's saying to us uh, collectively. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for every moment we've heard you speak in this space. For every moment we've sung our hearts out. For the moments that we've wept and we've given thanks to lives well lived. For the joy of a dedication. For the delight of a marriage. For the stillness of your presence. And we are believing for more.
And as a commitment to that belief for more. We want to get this space ready, Lord. For all that you're leading us into. A space that reflects not just what you're leading us into, but the way that you've already led us. A space that reflects that we are family. A space that makes welcome easier. A space that makes access easier. A space that speaks of your provision. For the way that you stirred up the people in Haggai's day. And there was an excitement and an enthusiasm. Because it wasn't about buildings or furniture. And we know some of us can get excited about buildings and furniture. But whilst perhaps most of us can't, we can get excited about what you're doing. And so we want buildings and furniture that reflect your goodness and all that you are doing. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we thought about at the beginning of our time this morning, the fact that God places us uh, in various spaces. And in particular, we thought about the fact that God places us here. Uh, in London Road together. This is where our home is. So much of our life is based and centers around here. But we're not just, and it's what we've been discovering, isn't it? We're not just placed here. We are also placed there, literally everywhere. We're placed in families, in streets, in villages, neighborhoods, schools, shops, offices, factories, colleges, sports clubs, book clubs, wherever it might be. We are everywhere. And what's true of this space is also true of those spaces that every place has a purpose because God always has a, because God always has a plan. Every place, those places have a purpose because God always has a plan. God has a plan there wherever there is for us. Now, hold that thought. We'll come back to it in a few moments time. The Bible gives us some really great images, pictures of what it means to belong to him, what it means to be rescued, what it means to know him and have confidence about who you are and where you are going. And one of those great images is about a feast, a banquet at the end of time, a great party, a great celebration to which we are all invited, a great banquet that's held in Jesus's honor. The promise of Jesus when he shared a simple meal with his disciples before his death and resurrection was that you will eat and drink anew in the kingdom of heaven. That there is a place at the table for you and for me. And here we go. Big metaphor for this morning. There is a chair with our name on it already there. Isn't that a wonderful thing? In fact, the Bible says that that chair with your name on it is so certain that in the book of Ephesians, Paul says, you know, you can be so confident of this. It's like you are already seated in that heavenly place. 
It's so certain that from God's perspective, it's like you're already there. A chair with your name on it. A place for you at the table. When you arrive at a wedding reception, what's the first thing that you do? Yeah, you find your name on the table plan. And you realize what you've always feared, that you're sitting next to the weird uncle and to the second cousin three times removed who's got the social engagement of a concrete slab. And there you will spend your afternoon. But above all of that, what thrills your heart in that moment, a certain element of relief that your name was actually on the board. I don't know if you've ever turned up to a wedding reception and discovered that your name was not on the plan. Maybe you've been at a wedding when others have turned up and their name was not on the plan. That's an awkward moment to say the least. You are glad to discover that there's a chair with your name on it. Chairs speak volumes, don't they? They speak much more than, in a sense, they offer. God has a chair for you which speaks volumes of his love and his acceptance and his welcome of you. Chairs do that. If you think about it, they're incredibly powerful. What's the first thing you say to someone who comes into your home? Have a seat. Please sit down. And what does it say in that moment? You're saying you're welcome here. You belong here. There's a a place for you here. We are glad that you're here and comfortable to have you. Please sit down. In those three simple words, we are expressing so much to people. We again see the power of chairs when you might hear that, a oh, Twelve people are now coming to your house tonight. We won't have enough chairs. What are we going to do? It's almost like running out of wine, isn't it? We, we won't have enough chairs. Because you know that giving people that ability to come in and sit down expresses so much of the hospitality and the welcome that you want to bring. Imagine how different it would be if you welcome people into your home and said, just stand there. Or worse still, you left them standing at uh, the door. One of the new efficiencies around business meetings is to keep people standing. But what does it say when we keep people standing? It says that you're just a task. I'm going to use you for what I can get as fast as I can get it. And then you can go on your way. Or you walk into the headmaster's office and you go to take a seat. Don't sit down. There is something very profound about a chair. And there is a chair in heaven with our names on it. And God cannot wait to say quite literally, come on in and sit down. Turns out it was quite an expensive chair. Bible says that the chair was bought at the price of his son's blood. His sacrifice, his death purchased that chair for us. So when we offer people a chair, when we invite someone to come in and sit down, we are in some small way enacting 
We are in some small way providing a sign. We are in some small way pointing to the fact that that's what God does for us. When we welcome, we point to the fact that he welcomes. When we include, we point to the fact that he includes. When we make space, we point to the fact that he has made space for us. We are Included. When we welcome people in, when we include people in these moments, we anticipate that moment when ultimately we are welcomed in. When we provide a place, we are reminding one another that God has already done the same. I want to buy chairs for people here so that they will know that there's a chair waiting for them there. It's not about furniture, it's not about Ikea, but it is about incarnating, putting tangible reality on a truth from God that we believe. There is a chair that's been bought for us there, so who would you buy a chair for here? I want to buy a chair for my family because having a seat here... An anchor, a foundation, a reminder, our identity here that there is already a place, a seat for them there. I want to buy a seat for friends that don't yet know that there is a seat or a chair for them there. But if they can discover that there's a chair here, if someone has made room and offered a welcome and invited and created space, they will begin to discover, we pray, that God has already done the same for them. Who would you buy a chair for? Parents or children or work colleagues or neighbors or prodigals? One of the things about the Christian life is this, isn't it? We live with the joys and the sorrows, not at different times, but at the same time. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You can be on the mountaintop and in the valley all at the same time. It's part of living in this wonderfully chaotic, beautiful, glorious, about-to-be-rescued-and-redeemed world. And one of the things is we celebrate all that God has done in the past and what we looked at in the um, earlier on this morning about the way that God has moved in this place over the last 170 odd years. We also carry some of the sorrows of that. People that journeyed with us that aren't journeying with us now. People who did sit in some of these chairs but now no longer do. And one of the pilgrimages, one of the journeys for me, is that I want to buy some chairs for people that I'm carrying in my heart that I would love them to find that seat again. Not because the seat matters, but because of what it points to really matters. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And we carry people in our hearts. And God has done amazing things. But there's also sadness about the journey. And we carry people in our hearts with a longing that they would once again discover that there's a place, a room, a chair, because there is already a chair for them there. So moments ago, I started this session saying that God had placed us there, out, out there, that, that God has a plan for us out there. And yet we're talking about chairs kind of in here. So what's that about? I think it's this. Unless we sit with people there, they'll never sit with us here. Unless we make room for people there, they'll never understand that we're making room for them here. 
Unless we create places of belonging out there, in our streets, our neighbourhoods, our workplaces, our wherever it might be, unless we create that kind of come in and sit down in our lives there, they'll never discover that there is a welcome here. A posture of welcome out there that says to people we know and love and meet, hey, come and sit down. Come and be with me. Places and spaces of belonging and acceptance. Chairs around our tables, in our lounges, our kitchens. Pull a chair up at the bar so someone can join you. Wherever it might be, we create places and spaces for people to belong. Why? Because ultimately we long for them to know that that's what God has already done for them. And if they don't sit with us there or here, they're unlikely to know that there's a seat for them there. I hope and pray that we will provide all that we need to do what we've talked about here in this particular space. But there's a bigger question. A bigger challenge. Will we provide all the chairs that people need out there? All the spaces that people need out there of belonging, of love and acceptance. The posture of hospitality, space for community, the power of belonging. That people out there might discover the love of a family. The knowledge of the father. That we will provide all the chairs that they need in our kitchens, in our homes, in our workplaces, in the school canteen, wherever it might be. So that they might learn to sit with us there. And whether in the end they learn to sit with us just there or there and here, they will discover, they will discover the security, the wonder, the anchor, the identity of knowing that there is already a place, a chair for them there. And our vision as a church is to put all that we can into helping all of us establish those places out there. We'll we'll do this in here for sure. And this is such an important part as we celebrated already this morning of all that God longs for us to do. But unless we join up the dots, unless we help people sit with us there, they won't sit with us here. And if they don't sit with us there or here, they're unlikely to discover that there's already a place for them to sit there. So we want to do all that we can to help each of us create those places and those spaces wherever we are. Because where we are placed always has a purpose because God always has a plan. So through this sermon series that we're in the middle of, Look Where Am I? Through supporting community leaders, encouraging you to get involved with your Burlington community, encouraging you if you have a missional vision or a missional idea or an opportunity that's bubbling in your heart, come and talk and pray and share so that we can harness the power of our togetherness to help you out there. One of the things that we really need, there's kind of ways of being that we really need to dismantle, and it's a memory muscle, and we have to dismantle, I'm mixing my metaphors now, we have to change the memory muscle, we have to dismantle the paradigm that we've built, and the paradigm that we've built has been a bit like this, if you're going to read the Bible, come and do it together. If you're going to worship, come and do it together. If you're going to pray, come and do it together. If you're going to, uh, whatever it is, go on a course of discipleship, come and do it together. But when it comes to mission, oh, you go and do that by yourself. 
We have to change that paradigm. That when we're called to the places where God has already put us, with the people that he's placed around us, we harness that sense of we're in it together. And we pray with all our hearts that people will learn what it is to sit with us, discover that place of belonging there, so that one day they'll discover that place of belonging there. That all of us one day would know the wonderful joy of hearing God say, hey, come on in and take a seat. Because that one's got your name on it. But you know what? It needs all of us. It needs all of us. It needs places all over this town, everywhere where the river will run. Every nook and cranny, as Simon Goddard said in that defining question series. We need the good news of Jesus. We need the, 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 the little Jesuses that we are sent out into every nook and cranny of this town. And hey, as we heard earlier on this morning, someone might have described it as a hard place to reach. But nevertheless, in this place, one after another, young men and young women discovered what it is to hear the Father say, come on in, come and sit down. Let's be quiet together. Father, we, we know, we know that deep in our beings we long to belong. We know that there's nothing more painful than being on the outside. Some of us will remember the school playground when all the teams were picked and we were last left on the outside. Or when everyone else seemed to be invited to the party and we didn't get the invitation. Where everyone else seemed to dress the right way and we didn't or couldn't or whatever it might be. Father, thank you. That your invitation goes out to all of us. There is no one beyond the reach of your love and your inviting power. Thank you that you choose us first and foremost. You look at us and you love us. And you choose us. And we know that there are all things about us that perhaps are not that lovely. We know that there are all things about us that we wish were different than perhaps... We know you wish we're different, but nevertheless, your love is deeper than those things. And you choose us. So we're praying for many all over our town to understand what it is to know and to hear. Come on in and sit down. In Jesus' name. Amen.